There are many ways people listen to Vision, including in cars through the Vision app. The Vision app is compatible with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So if you have mobile coverage, you can stream any of Vision's live radio channels in crystal clear quality and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts all on the go. There are other ways to connect your phone to your vehicle speakers too. You can see detailed instructions when you Google ways to listen to Vision. However and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. But today, our opportunity to open talkback lines with Martin Isles as we get into some of the serious nitty-gritty of what's happening with the election campaigns when we talk about the major parties and the minor parties heading towards the federal election on the 18th of May. Anyway, you look at the coming federal election, there are challenges for Christian faith in the days ahead. The focus today is going to be on threats and opportunities that you might see with the election less than a month away. Now, you might argue that no matter which party wins government, the church remains under intense pressure. And isn't that normal for the history of the church? Well, we'll talk about those sorts of things today. Parties that have already declared significant policies Uh, going to impact on the freedoms of all Australians that centre around issues like religious freedom or religious education, uh, pro-life issues. Uh, Those sorts of things can be part of our conversation today. The forces trying to silence the Christian voice in the public sphere, well, they may not be just politically motivated, but attitudes that are shaped by something of the spirit of the age, which is increasingly looking less Christian and more antagonistic towards the church. So we're going to talk about these sorts of issues today, and I want to invite you to join in the conversation, talking issues of threats and opportunities in the lead-up to the coming federal election. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, and it is always a pleasure to catch up with Martin. Martin's joining us through this next hour. Martin, welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Uh, Martin, how was your Easter? I uh, I hear you went to Sydney. Uh, yes, that's right, Neil. Uh, yep, there's a bit of a tradition I've got going where I head down to Sydney to St Andrew's Cathedral. They have a performance of the Messiah on Good Friday evening every year, and it is really, really great. It's small, um, and, and often people think with a performance like Messiah, if you have a small cast, then it's going to be a little bit lower key. Uh, that's not quite right. It's absolutely fantastic. So if anybody wants to, is interested in that sort of thing, I'd recommend next year checking it out. I love it. Oh, good stuff. Hey, in church on Sunday in Sydney, well, the Prime Minister was in church too and allowed cameras into his church called the Horizon Church uh, for the first time on Easter Sunday and uh, a lot of ramifications, especially on what is being reported about social media with the Prime Minister in church. Uh, Most of us will have perhaps seen some news reports and there's the Prime Minister uh, standing in a Pentecostal church, uh, arms raised, eyes closed, and we might think... uh, in a certain sense, in worship before God on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but there are those who have wanted to take a swipe at him, and uh, he's not taken that lying down. He's taken a swipe or two back. What are your thoughts about the Prime Minister attending church on Sunday, first of all, Martin? Well, it's interesting. It's been a long time since we had um, a Prime Minister. Well, we've never had a Pentecostal Prime Minister for one, so I don't think anybody's ever seen a Prime Minister standing as he was with his hand in the air and, and, and singing. Um, uh, but also, it's, it's interesting that he is so open about his faith. Certainly, there have been church-going Prime Ministers. Um, you know, John Howard attended an Anglican church, and you've got uh, Bill Shorten as opposition leader at the moment was also in church on Easter Sunday, but they they downplay it. Uh, it's something that is kept quite private, which probably reflects the trends, uh, especially in the English tradition, of privatizing religion uh, and saying, well, that's my own personal life and you know, judge me on my merits in the public square. Please don't judge me on that. That's kind of a very English way of dealing with religion. You, you, you contrast that with America, where religion is extremely public. Um, probably at the detriment of it being private, so they've got the opposite problem. Um, so Scott Morrison's sort of very open and honest 
about his faith. And that's a little bit new for us. Um, But also I think it's clever because he's demystifying it as well. I think that the Australian people, some of them might think, well, what is Pentecostalism? What's this weird, you know, that there's been articles in the monthly about tongues and all the rest of it. And, oh, this is all very strange. But he demystifies by saying, yeah, come on, cameras, follow me in church. Have a look at it. I think the average Australian... Uh, doesn't look at that and think, oh, well, it's a Nazi salute or whatever the silly criticism was from the, as he called them, keyboard warriors. Um, but he's also open to the Christ- uh, making a play, if you like, or um, or uh, warming up the constituency, if you like, of Christians. Um, that's interesting as well, in the sense that he's, he's actively courting the Christian and the religious constituency, and he's doing that in all sorts of subtle ways, and this is one of them. Uh, that's good, but it could, you know, if, if he then goes on and loses spectacularly, it makes me question, well, what does that mean for the next guy who wants to play Christian votes? He's going to decide that it's a waste of his time. Uh, so there's a risk there as well. As you say, Bill Shorten went to church too and went to an Anglican church on the weekend. But I guess the headlines about the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and as you alluded to, uh, there he is, uh, hands raised in church and uh, eyes closed. And there are some who on social media, and uh, you know, here we are giving this uh, some airtime, but the Prime Minister's hit back at this because this accusation that he's standing there in church doing a Nazi salute, uh, that is uh, that is pretty low, isn't it? But that's, I guess, what you expect on Twitter. Oh, yeah, that's right. Twitter's a bit of a sewer. I mean, I don't even read my um, the people who respond to my tweets these days. It's pretty gross. <laughs> and the things they say are completely outrageous. And I guess that that's what we would expect in the sense that there will be detractors, there will be people who don't like religion, there are people who don't like Christianity who will just decide to spew rubbish. Um, now, that's what happens on Twitter, that's what happens in the noise. You know, if I, if I measured my popularity by my Twitter account, I'd probably be an extremely depressed person. Uh, but it is interesting, you know, uh, I'm, I know that Scott Morrison would, would see a more real picture when he's out in the street and he's, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with people and talking to people. Uh, I certainly have had a lot of people come up to me in public places all around the country, in every city, uh, and I've never had criticism. I've only ever had people come up and say thank you and, you know, well done and this kind of thing. And my predecessor, Lyle, and before him, Jim, the same. Uh, and I'm sure that Scott Morrison handles that as well and, and deals with people who are very uh, affirming. And I think that we should remember this. Often we look at the social media commentary. Often we look at what's happening in the mainstream uh, media on our TVs, and we get a perception. We think, wow, the world's against Christians, the world's against people who identify as Christian, the world's against people who have our moral views on things. Yeah, in a way, it's this strange thing where the noisy people are against it, and they make a big noise about it, and it looks very intimidating. But that is not reflective, uh, and I can't stress this enough, it's actually not reflective of the attitude of the ordinary person. Now, I think that the gap is closing on that, but we're still in a position where I think we can take heart that the crazy things said on social media are not necessarily reflective of how the real community around us feels. There is a very secular and antagonistic element in the community that does not want Christian values to be aligned with political policies. And uh, it's interesting that where the attacks might be most ferocious against Scott Morrison, that people do not want uh, Pentecostal Christian and uh, biblical-based values to influence the values of the Liberal Party. And, of course, this is illustrated, isn't it, in the fact that Bill Shorten went to church on Sunday too, and uh, people might be thinking, well, Bill Shorten's got it right because he doesn't. Uh, let his Christian values so much influence his uh, focus on policy, or at least that would be the uh, the appearance uh, given some of the Labor Party policies. But uh, what are your thoughts on on the fact that the leaders go to church, but that uh, they their stance on some issues is very very different? Yeah, look, this is right, uh, and I think that the the. Uh, you know, there are those out there, particularly those with voices in the media, in the institutions and in politics, who they will they will attack any evidence that Christian faith is actually influencing somebody's public action 
they will look at anybody, say like Scott Morrison, say like the ACL, say like other groups who dare to stand in the public squares and say, do you know what, this religion that I hold in my heart has implications for how I want to see the world. It has implications for what is right uh, and good in my policies, in my actions in public, in the way that I speak, in the laws that I want to champion, in, in this kind of thing. Now, if they see Christian faith taken to that degree, if they see faith becoming works, if you like, uh, as James says, that is what will really raise the ire of those who know that this is going to be opposed to their social agenda. Uh, and they will attack it, and they will attack it, and they will attack it. And I really, I mean, I've been up close and personal with some of the leaders of different movements who are very much opposed to Christianity, and um, they are very deliberate, uh, they're very hostile, and they're very committed uh, in what they're trying to do. So we cannot underestimate for a moment the fact that that element exists. And I think that the, the, the thing you've raised here, Neil, is that whilst Bill Shorten was in church on Sunday... It is true that he doesn't uh, carry the trappings of uh, the fundamentals of the faith and the Christian morality and social um, uh, social conscience into his policy making to the same extent that Scott Morrison does. You've got to remember that Scott Morrison's been opposed to same-sex marriage, for example. Bill Shorten was not. Uh, also, Scott Morrison was a real champion in the Parliament for uh, adding amendments to the Same-Sex Marriage Act would have seen religious freedom protections enshrined in law. And Scott Morrison, that is something that really exercised him at the time, and I think something that he wishes he could get more traction on now as well. Uh, now, Bill Shorten criticised that. Uh, you know, Bill Shorten, remember, said that, you know, bigots were crawling out from under rocks to oppose same-sex marriage, thing, rhetoric like this. Uh, you also had the Labor Party championing restrictions on religious schools at the end of last year, and Bill Shorten went along with that. So I think that these people who are looking to shut down um, Christian views in the public square, they don't see Bill Shorten as the same threat level as Scott Morrison. Uh, that's why you will see the hostility from them channeled to Scott Morrison more than to Bill Shorten. Let's continue, and there might be listeners who'd like to contribute to our conversation on some of those points that you've raised there, Martin. But this is not the only dimension where there are threats, and where there are challenges, and it's not just coming from those political leaders with their policy foundations in the lead-up to the election, but, of course, one of the biggest tragedies that you can imagine over the weekend in Sri Lanka, where the bombings in Sri Lanka, numerous of those, at least 290 killed, 500 more injured, and coordinated blasts in churches and hotels. Christians were the focus of those bombing attacks. Uh, your thoughts on how you felt when that news began to break, Martin? Yeah, look, gee, it's absolutely um, tragic. It's desperately tragic. I mean, I, I barely need to say that. And um, certainly I, I shared some of this information on social media, and I think that the public, uh, you know, the the, the the outcry of sort of grief from the Christian community was huge. Um, the stuff I posted went 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 crazy. I mean, it was shared and it was responded to more than anything I've shared in a long time. Um, so there is a real sense of solidarity with these people who are our Christian brothers and sisters in another country who did what we all did over the weekend, uh, which was go to church <laughs> uh, and sit in a Easter service on Resurrection Sunday, for example, and to think that we took that for granted. I mean, I was sitting in a church that's a cathedral in the middle of the CBD of a major city uh, with uh, doors open onto uh, one of the main streets, George Street in Sydney, uh, and you sit there and you, you, you go through a one-hour service or more than an hour and, and you walk out and you don't expect anything to go wrong. Um, and look what we take for granted, where uh, these people did exactly that and, 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 and hundreds of them never came home and hundreds will never be the same again. Um, it's, it's really awful. But it does remind me, you know, of a couple of things. I mean, theologically, I was reflecting on the fact that it was Resurrection Sunday and... Um, uh, yes, you know, Easter means that the resurrection uh, is real and it changes everything and that we now live with the life of Christ, uh, the new life, the resurrection life of Christ 
dwelling within us uh, through the Spirit of God. And uh, we, too, have that same hope that as he was raised, so, too, we will be raised to be with him. Uh, and there's the ultimate victory. Death is swallowed up in victory, says 1 Corinthians 15. But, you know, the other side of that is that, yes, uh, the resurrection is something that we as Christians bear in our bodies, as Paul said. You know, we live in the light of it. We live in the power of it. Uh, but also, he says, we bear in our bodies the death of Christ as well, in the sense that all that the cross means, its affliction, the suffering, the challenges that Jesus had in this world, those two uh, are things that we as Christians carry in this world. He says, you know, they hated me without a cause, they will hate you too. A servant's not greater than his master. As they persecuted me, so they will persecute you, uh, this kind of thing. Because they don't know me, he says, and so they won't know you. And and there's that sense that the cross and all that it means, the, the, the affliction, the challenge, the shame and all that, you know, Christians can expect to bear a cross in this world. And for our Sri Lankan brothers and sisters, that was the, you know, they, they saw that in the ultimate sense of the weekend. And I pray and trust that, um, you know, in God's grace, we as the church in Australia don't experience it to that extent. I mean, it's it's dreadful. But, you know, uh, there is a, a messy world out there, and there is a world that will oppose Christ, wherever Christ's witness is made known. And we need to know this as Australia, because we can lose the peace and security that we have here in a heartbeat. Uh, because, uh, you know, as society changes, as anti-religious sentiment builds up, uh, as we have cultural uh, diversity in the community and we, we start to wrestle with the challenges that that brings, uh, my concern is that, you know, how long before we start to see some of these challenges come upon us as well? Um, and you remember that Scott Morrison actually increased funding for security for churches and synagogues by 55 million dollars just recently because of fears of this very thing and i was in the united states at the start of this year and i saw over there in some of the churches i went into they actually have police uh, you walk in the front door and you've got two police officers standing right there and there's a police car parked at the front door and i sort of said to the pastors you know what's going on here and they said oh well, you know uh, we've had uh, threats from the community against us and now we have police presence at every church service uh so we can lose what we have very quickly, and we cannot be ignorant or foolish about the dangers uh, posed by a world where sin is real, where evil is real, and where you know these challenges can grow up very quickly if we're not wise and prudent. Um, and we should expect it to some degree, but I trust that we can be wise and mitigate against the worst of it, as we saw in Sri Lanka. But obviously, overall, the thought is of great solidarity with them, and I think that... Um, you know, I've encouraged everyone just to pray because uh, there's very little else that we can do from our vantage point right now other than to pray for God's presence, which is the greatest blessing I think that they could have at this time. Station sponsor. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Well, our special guest this hour, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, and we're talking about the upcoming election less than a month away, 18th of May is the election date. We're talking about the opportunities and the threats that are created in the lead-up to the election. It's easier to talk about the threats than the opportunities, but uh, we're talking about those sorts of things today. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 Martin, let's take a call or two. Let's hear, first of all, from Michael in Ararat. Hello, Michael. Welcome along. G'day, Neil. How are you? Very well, Michael. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Well, the thoughts that I've got, recently there was a big tra uh, tragic event in... Um, Christchurch, New Zealand. Yep. And how are you going to stop this from happening again? And what is Scott Morrison got to do with the Prime Minister over there? All right. A thought or two here from Martin Isles. Martin, your thoughts for Michael. Yeah, this is the very sort of thing that I was um, referring to when I said, you know, something terrible has happened in Sri Lanka, but we need to be really careful that we don't make bad decisions, that lead to uh, the same sort of thing happening here. But um, part of me, as I say that, realises that it's extremely hard to control because it's very difficult to control ideas. Um, and as people feel like their lifestyle is under threat, as people feel like um, uh, politics isn't delivering for them, uh, as people feel like there's um, massive 
challenges in the community that aren't being resolved and they can't see the leadership or the moral willpower to resolve it, they start to take matters into their own hands. And for most people, that just looks like getting involved in politics. But there's, 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 there's nutters out there. There's people out there who are either crazy or motivated by evil intentions. And uh, we saw that in Christchurch. We saw something unspeakable, something wicked done, because here's a man who has swallowed the worst of identity politics, uh, and uh, uh, he's taken a he's taken uh, and, and and racism, where he said, well, all the problems are the result of the fact that uh, it's not just white people here anymore. And so he's gone and he's 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 killed uh, a whole bunch of people who are not white. Um, or who, uh, you know, it was a racist uh, motivation that he had. And, you know, that sort of thing really concerns me because you you can't really stop that when someone gets something into their head to that extent. Uh, and I think that a lot of it depends on really attacking uh, what we call identity politics and going out there and saying, no, we're all human first and let's work from there. Uh, no, it's not true that there's categories of people and because we're in one category, we're superior and they are inferior. Uh, it's not true that there's categories of people where one category is responsible for evil and the other category is responsible for good. We can't get into that siloed thinking because as soon as you do, you dehumanize categories of people and, and this is what happens in the community. So we're going to be very, very careful about the rhetoric, about the way we approach this I think we have to be extremely careful in these times, uh, above all else. Michael from Ararat, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, let's take another call. Jim is in Tanamira in Queensland. Hello, Jim. Welcome along. Yes, good morning. Jim, what are uh, your thoughts? Well, I'm going to throw the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit. Um, remember Asa's prayer? doesn't matter whether you're defending people with great might or, or very little might, you can defend us anyway. And the one thing I find that I'm not hearing is any of the Christians standing on God's Word. I have been standing on um, Psalm 91 for years now, and I've been in situations where I could have easily died many times, and, the, and that scripture um, um, protected me. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego all stood on God's word. Daniel stood on God's word. David stood on God's word against Goliath and many other times. And they were always protected. Jim, it's going to be in times ahead likely that we'll all have to rely so much more than we've had to before on relying on God's word, standing on God's word, understanding and appreciating that he is our strong tower. Uh, Your thoughts, Martin, for Jim in Tanamira? I couldn't agree more with Jim, uh, in fact, and I would encourage anybody. Look, uh, look. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I always say that the outcomes for so many of the things we talk about are ultimately above my jurisdiction. They're above my pay grade. God is in control uh, of those things. My job is to be faithful, and I think that that's the biblical mandate that we have to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to be Christ's witnesses to the end of the earth. Uh, to speak for truth when it stumbled in the public squares. These are all in the Bible. These are scriptural mandates that are given to us. Uh, and that's what I uh, shape uh, ACL's ministry around. Um, our strategic plan is, is grounded in what scripture has to say for our mandate and our role in this world. Uh, and, you know, we do that and we do it to the best of our ability and we do it with a clear conscience before God and we do it to serve God. And then we simply rest on his promises uh, that... He's in all of this, that he's sovereign over all of these things, that his purposes will be done. We pray and trust that he uses us in those purposes. That's my uh, big picture thinking around all of this. And I would encourage anybody who, who is interested in understanding more about the connections between Scripture and the world as we see it emerging all around us now, uh, and Scripture and politics and Scripture and what it has to say to, to understand our culture, to follow my blogs um, and, and the videos that we put out as ACL, because that is a primary part of our ministry now, which is to build that bridge between scriptural awareness and cultural awareness, so that we can understand how the, what we learn, uh, what is fundamental to our faith, fully comprehends the world as it is unfolding around us. And it is a changing world, and it can be a challenge sometimes to keep up, but 
I'm a strong believer that the Bible actually answers all those questions. And yeah, I'd encourage people to have, check it out and, and see what they think. Thank you so much to Jim from Tanamira. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Just a few minutes out from news. Uh, I want to do, uh, point to those meet the candidate forums that the Australian Christian lobby is now famous for. And when you talk about, uh, you know, connecting faith to life, uh, using the Bible as a foundation, even for your strategic plan, Martin, when it comes to these meet the candidate forums, these are face to face in public buildings and you put hard questions to the candidates. You've got a bunch of these that are planned in the lead up to the election. They actually are very important, aren't they? Yeah, look, they are because um, it's interesting. People uh, people sometimes underestimate the importance of these in the sense that even if there's 50 people in the room in a particular electorate, and you know, very often we get a lot more than that. We're often in the hundreds. Um, if even if you have 50 people in the room, that's sometimes about the largest crowd that a candidate will address in their campaign. Um, we forget that it's very, very difficult at the moment for politicians to get in front of people. And so they're very keen to do that. Uh, and if they're in front of, say, 100 people, as one of our forums looks like it's got it registered at the moment and we're still some way out from it, uh, if 100 people are in front of them, and that's the largest crowd that they address in the election campaign, and it's a Christian crowd who puts hard questions to them and lets them know what it is that they want from them in the next term of parliament, it's extremely powerful. It's a major checkpoint uh, along the way in their election campaign. And if you go to acl.org.au, just that website, uh, there is an events page. Just go menu, events. Uh, and there will be meet your candidate forums uh, in your neck of the woods there, uh, or also volunteer opportunities as well uh, to get into the field, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But there's plenty to actually be done, plenty of things for you to go to. Uh, and if there's no meet your candidate forum in your electorate, they may not be, there might be one nearby, uh, or uh, you might be able to volunteer. Okay, so if you're listening into our conversation right now, Martin, thinking, I don't know whether there's one of those in my community, and of course there are communities listening to us all over Australia, uh, they go to the website acl.org.au. Is there a list of where the proposed uh, Meet the Candidate forums are going to be held? Yes, uh, just go to the events page, um, and uh, you'll, you'll probably get a list of events that are within sort of about 100 kilometres of you. Uh, it'll find your location and it'll list them up. Or if it can't find your location because of your internet settings, it'll just give you all the events across the entire country. But you can just scroll through uh, and they are there. And we've got Meet Your Candidate forums in strategic electorates um, and just find them and see if there's one that, that, that is nearby your area or, or, or that you'd like that you can get to. There might not be, uh, but there are other opportunities for you which we'll talk about. Uh, a little bit later on. But Martin, if we're talking about the uh, threats, the opportunities in the coming federal election, we can't go away from this uh, really, really important issue, this issue of religious freedom in Australia, which affects every single Australian. Uh, Differences under Morrison to what Shorten might bring into this area. What are your thoughts, uh, just quickly before we take some more calls? I think this is a big issue, actually, um, Neil, for Christians, because this uh, is going to have massive implications going forward, as it already is having massive implications, for the ability of Christian institutions like schools, uh, educational institutions, um, hospitals, uh, uh, charities, of uh, which most of the bigger charities are faith-based. Uh, it's going to affect their ability to continue to exist as Christian. Uh, and promote Christian ethics, promote the Christian message, and have Christian policies uh, and Christian staff. All of that uh, is, frankly, under threat. Indeed, the clock might be ticking down on how long we can uh, continue to uh, carry the Christian witness through such organisations. Also, uh, the ability of parents to raise their children in accordance with Christian values. I'm not kidding. Um, There's huge moves on, huge moves, uh, to take away the rights of Christian parents to be able to raise their kids in accordance with their own beliefs around sexuality and gender. Um, And I cannot overstate how dangerous that is and how zealous people, certain people are in seeing that happen. So these are the kinds of things we're talking about. The Christian message itself is it going to infringe hate speech laws. So you look at Israel Folau, for example, and the challenges that he's had in employment. Uh, We've had countless cases of people being fired from their jobs for speaking up for their beliefs uh, in, in much more mild ways than even Israel Folau did. Um, this sort of thing is the challenge going forward. Can we continue to exist as Christian without the force of the law coming down against us? 
there will be differences under the two sides. Um, at least if the Morrison government were to be retained, we would have a sympathetic prime minister. Uh, I don't think that's the end of the story by any means. I think that uh, Morrison uh, needs a lot of support in to get any of these sorts of uh, issues through his own party because it's a divided house. Some people are opposed, some people are in support, uh, and Christians will really have to speak up very loudly to use the opportunity afforded by a Morrison government well uh, and get good religious freedom laws passed. Uh, unfortunately, under um, Labor, uh, it is my... Uh, strong conviction that they will do nothing at all. Uh, in fact, they'll probably start what I call salami tactics, which is chipping away, slice by slice, if you like, uh, in the wrong direction. Um, and the the the, uh, the grip will be tightened firmer and firmer and firmer around Christian churches, Christian people and Christian organisations. Uh, and again, if we don't speak up and make a noise, uh, that will only continue. If we don't speak up and make a noise, that will continue. And uh, as you mentioned, Israel Folau, a note from Ben on our Facebook page, who says Israel Folau simply quoted a verse from the Bible and was sacked. Expect to see more of the same persecution under the banner of political correctness. And, of course, uh, that's before any legislation is in place. This is why the threat is already there. Uh, let's take some more calls. Our talkback line open, one 316 You can join in our conversation. Let's take a call. Tiffany is on the line from Rockhampton in Queensland. Hello, Tiffany. Welcome. Um, good morning. How are you? Very well, Tiffany. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Um I've got a couple of thoughts. One is um, regarding Sri Lanka. Um, as tragic as it is and as sad as it is, I think that it's just uh, us in the West, if you want to put it like that, have been protected from that for quite some time. And I think that it's just going to increase more and more. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And secondly, as far as the politics, I'm extremely interested in uh, who gets in. I Google and try and read and look up whatever I can regarding each each of the parties. But something that I heard last year from somebody, uh, a preacher, was that um, Donald Trump cannot save us and neither can Scott Morrison or Bill Shorten. And truly it is only Jesus. And although I am passionate about who I vote for and, and know who I want to get uh, to lead the country for the next three or more years, you know... In the, at the end of the day, it is only Jesus that will save me. And it's not like it's going to take God by surprise. Uh, good thoughts there, Tiffany. Let's get a response from Martin. Oh, look, I agree, of course. Uh, I always say to people, we get a lot of uh, young people coming through our training programs through the Lockwood Macquarie Institute, and they want to go out and change the world. And I just say to them, look, remember something. Politics doesn't save, right? Uh, just remember that. <laughs> it's a really good uh, checking mechanism to have in your brain. Uh, politics won't save. It's superficial in that sense. What it does uh, is, as Paul says when he writes to Timothy, he says, pray for the government, pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, remembering that for Paul and Timothy, prayer was their only option. They couldn't go and vote. They couldn't go and speak to their MP. They couldn't do anything except just pray, essentially, because they didn't live in a society where any kind of political feedback was feasible. Um, but he says, look, do make sure you pray for these people. Use that avenue of opportunity. Why? He says, so that we as Christians might be able to live a godly life in all peace and quiet. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's interesting there, it's a prayer he's saying for essentially religious freedom. He's saying because it's really good if the life of godliness, that is the life of Christian witness, the life of uh, where, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known through you and in your words and deeds, uh, the life of uh, church-attending people, the life of salt and light, you know, being uh, a strong uh, Christian person in the community and speaking up for what's right, it's good if that is a life of peace and quiet. If the government isn't punishing you for that, why? Because, you know, so long as you're free to do that, the truth itself will be free. The truth itself will spread in your community because Christians will be able to be who they're supposed to be. And that means that children of the next generation will encounter the truth through Christian witness and Christian activism and Christian activity. It means that people who are not saved by Jesus will encounter you and your message, and they will come to a knowledge of Christ himself, perhaps. So it's a good thing because the truth, we want it to be free. 
And the best way to do that is to ensure not only that religious freedom is real, the government isn't making sure that the godly life is a life of misery and punishment, but it is to make sure that we as Christians are getting up on our feet and doing things, not because we think politics will save anyone, but because we actually believe that this is good and it's right and it will spread the truth. Uh, and that's my motivation in all of this. I don't think anyone's going to get uh, directly saved, but I think that the conditions that it creates, if you have good government and religious freedom, are priceless treasures. And if we don't have them, we will end up like, well, what we saw in Sri Lanka, uh, what we see in other countries. The West is privileged and blessed to have this prayer fulfilled in our community for such a long time. Tiffany in Rockhampton, thank you so much for your call, for your insights. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Anne is on the line in Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Hello. Yes. Um, my question is um, to Scott Moran in a personal way. Um, he's a Christian, and I know he wanted to synthesise with um, the Sri people. Was there a different way he could have done it instead of going into the temple itself? Um. Uh, Martin, your thoughts for Anne? Yes, I think this is a reference to the fact that um, Scott Morrison went and demonstrated solidarity with the Sri Lankan people, I think it was the day after the bombings or on the day of the bombings, by going to a Buddhist temple, uh, which I I agree, a really weird choice, a a really weird choice, (laughs) because, uh, you know, it was uh, Christians who were targeted, it was, you know, that's what it was all about, and I'm not sure what was going on there, except that if he was showing solidarity to the Sri Lankan people, most Sri Lankan people are Buddhist, um, and certainly most Sri Lankan Australians are Buddhist. So there's a political angle there. I, I don't want to, you know, cast any aspersions on his motives at all, <laughs> but there is a political angle in the sense that if you're going to show uh, solidarity with Sri Lankans, you can reach out to more by going to a Sri Lankan Buddhist temple. Now, I don't agree with what he did. Uh, there's a lot of things Scott Morrison does that I don't agree with. Uh, I think he could have handled that better. Maybe he was scheduled to visit that part of the country anyway uh, on Easter Sunday and it was convenient. You know, there's all sorts of possible explanations. Um, Yeah, not perfect, but uh, that's what it is. Uh, Thank you so much to Anne in Labrador, 1-800-316-316. You can have your say today. Our special guest is Martin Niles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. We're talking about opportunities and threats in the lead-up to the coming federal election. Let's take a call from Wendy in Queensland. Wendy, thanks for waiting patiently. What are your thoughts? Yes, hello. I'm just... I don't follow politics very well, um, but... I do say this, that there seems to be areas of um, unequal distribution of wealth, I feel, in areas of, um, of course, New Start Allowance, old study, and um, youth, youth Allowance and things like that are obviously not meant to be permanent payments. They're meant to be payments if children can't get jobs leaving school or... You know, it's not meant, and I understand it's not meant to be a permanent payment and that people should be working. That's obviously the right thing to do. Wendy, good thoughts in this. Let's get a response from Martin because I think the sorts of things you're reflecting there are common for a lot of people who see what they acknowledge to be some sort of uneven distribution of wealth and uh, there's certainly a political divide here as to the way that each side is positioning itself. Uh, Martin, your thoughts for Wendy? Yeah, look, these are the sorts of things that, that touch people's lives uh, in a very real and a very personal way, particularly around the area of finance. And, you know, the, the whole problem of social welfare that Wendy refers to is is a huge one. Uh, in fact, successive governments have been trying to figure out what to do about that because the bills to the government for social welfare payments are so enormous. In fact, I think nearly 50% of Commonwealth expenditure is on social welfare. Um, and so they're dealing with this ballooning welfare budget uh, and it's interesting to me that despite the ballooning welfare budget, despite the amount of money that the Commonwealth is throwing at all different categories of people, yes, you're right, there is um, income inequality. Uh, yes, there, is, uh, there are real challenges uh, that aren't going away because I think that there's a deeper explanation for um, societal, systemic societal issues that make people welfare dependent. It's not just about whether they've got the dollars in their hands. 
Uh, it's actually about the kind of culture that we have. It's about the kind of people we're encouraging uh, those in the community to become. Uh, and it's about the kind of opportunities that we're giving them. And I, I think that the, the best maxim on this that I've ever heard is, you know, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's why I think that the best social welfare is a job. Uh, and if the economy is going well and jobs are available all around and people have the family support structures that they need because we've actually fostered strong family values in this society. In fact, I think that's the greatest bulwark against homelessness, for example, uh, because family really looks after family if family is working well. Uh, and the, lo- the, the more we denigrate that, the worse we make those sorts, of, uh, those sorts of issues. So if we have strong values promoted uh, and if we have uh, the job opportunities available, I think that that's what solves this issue. And that's not a, there's not a silver bullet answer to that. That's something that takes time. It's something that a culture of a government builds up over time and perpetuates over time. It's not something that's done overnight. But just quickly, the thing that comes out of that for me, and I think that this is a biblical and a Christian notion, I do believe that righteousness exalts a nation. I do believe what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things, what? Well, the, 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 the accompaniments of life, you know, dealing with the day-to-day pressures, dealing with the issues that we have. Now, that's a personal thing, but it's also a societal thing, which is why when it comes to looking at governments, my first concern is their moral policy, it's their moral compass. Uh, it's, you know, whether or not they've got a clear understanding of what's right and what's wrong and whether they'll champion good and right in the community and punish evil in the community and actually stand by that. Because I think that if we've got that much in place, we're actually a long way towards dealing with all the other stuff. I think straight away you start to see economic issues fall into place uh, and things like that. So that's why I take the approach that I take to politics. Um, I think that if we want to have a society that's well looked after in, the, in, the, in those dollars and cents terms, it's actually worth contemplating the moral compass of the government that we're electing. Thank you so much to Wendy from Queensland and one of the reasons, of course, why we would focus more heavily on a social agenda that uh, political parties might be promoting uh, than the economic agenda, although those are important too and uh, we do like to keep up with those and certainly do uh, through Vision National News. But in a program like this, we'll often be talking about the social agenda because, in fact, Martin, there's not as many people talking about the social agenda in this way and talking from a Christian view viewpoint needs to be a whole lot more of it i would say yeah look that's absolutely true so what we're finding is that when it comes to the election campaigns of the two main parties labor and liberal all they want to talk about is dollars 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 it's tax cuts it's it's who can give you the deepest tax cut uh it's who can give you the biggest welfare check it's who can give you the widest motorway uh, it's who can give you free taste all this kind of stuff uh that's what they try and sell to the australian people And they will not go to that deeper philosophical level and start talking about questions of right and wrong, moral policy, social policy, because they they simply think it doesn't win votes. It's much easier to buy votes. And also because within their own parties, they're heavily divided against each other about all that stuff. And so I do see part of our role as being to bring all of that out into the open and say, well, hang on a minute. There's issues of serious moral gravity for our nation, particularly in God's eyes. And they include things like how we deal with life. They include things like uh, how we deal with the freedom for for people to speak and proclaim truth. They have to do with all of that stuff. They have to deal with whether or not we honour God's mandate for man and woman, male and female, and all this, you know, gender-bending stuff. This is really important. Uh, in the eyes of God, but it's less important in the eyes of people. And so I do see our voice sometimes as being that body that raises those issues to a higher level, says, hey, this matters, because it really does. It matters for the welfare of a whole generation. There's a number of stories breaking even today, Martin, and uh, might not be across all the details. Uh, Let me just point to one. Christine has called in and says, just to let you know, and I'm not sure of the validity of this, but it might be worth for listeners to check on it, but she's called in to say, just to let you know that a judge in Melbourne has ordered all Bibles to be removed from courthouses, uh, announced this morning in the Herald Sun newspaper. Have you heard of that, Martin? 
Yeah, I did actually. So I get a media briefing um, from uh, our press secretary every morning very early, and that was in the list of issues. And I think actually our Victorian state director um, uh, went on a radio station down there and talked about it briefly. Um, it's, it's, it's weird to me. It's really weird. <laughs> it's just such an odd thing to, to ask for. And I just think to myself, well, there's no Bibles in the courtroom. Um, uh, are people allowed to swear an oath on the Bible? Because that's a pretty, it's a pretty important thing uh, for the execution of justice. If someone believes in God and they swear an oath and say, look, um, God is my witness, um, that's pretty, pretty important to justice itself. Uh, and also, you know... <laughs> Uh, maybe the courtroom is too late to have a Bible. Maybe people need the Bible before they get to the courtroom, and then we would have less people in the courtroom. But look, this is just a this is just a manifestation of uh, again just the, the simmering hostilities that exist against. Notice it's the Bible, specifically Christian uh, uh, things, uh, particularly from those who have power, uh, and some of them are very. Uh, keen to ensure that all manifestations of Christianity in public life and the public square, and the courtroom is one place, it is the public square, and it is the place where law is made, they want them out. Uh, at the moment in Victoria, you also have conversations in the government about getting the Lord's Prayer out of Parliament, uh, things like that. We're going to see lots and lots of attacks like that over uh, the next little while, and it's something that we need to be alert to. Uh, well, very significant. If you take the Bible out of the courtroom and uh, what you're really saying here, Martin, is uh, you don't have to tell the truth anymore. Uh, so you don't have to tell the truth in court. That's a very serious thing for a nation like ours. And uh, there's a deep message in that and uh, one that ought to be taken very seriously. We're running out of time. I'll have to draw a line under any other calls. Thanks so much to everyone who has called in to participate in our conversation. Uh, I did want to talk to you, Martin. Uh, we mentioned some of these Meet the candidate forums that you're planning with the Australian Christian Lobby and in communities all around Australia. Uh, you're also looking for people to be participants. Now, sometimes we talk about uh, this idea, don't just be sitting in your armchair being a uh, cheering from the sidelines type person, but actually rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in something useful and worthwhile. There are volunteering opportunities with Australian Christian Lobby. How do they work, Martin? Well, I'm glad you raised this, Neil, because you're right. Uh, there, there are very, these are very grave times, actually. I can't say, I mean, I'm at the forefront of this stuff. I'm talking to politicians every day. I'm seeing all the policy developments. I know who's who in, in, in this whole space federally. And I cannot say with enough conviction to all of the listeners, we are living in radically changing times. This is very grave. Uh, in the next 10 years... We could, in fact, see provisions passed in law that say that a parent who counsels their child against gender transition uh, or against homosexual conduct is a criminal and a domestic abuser. I'm not making that up. That's just one example of how seriously things are changing and how quickly things are changing. This whole issue of religious freedom, they're not going to be content to get Christians out of the public square they will come to churches as well. And there's already talk about uh, restricting what churches can say. Now, this sounds like, uh, you know, a, a doomsday prophecy, you know, worthy of communist Russia. But I, I cannot say clearly enough, people are deeply motivated uh, to, uh, in this way, and they are getting serious traction. So I say that just for this reason. We are here because there's been a group of extremely zealous activists who have been on their feet for decades. They haven't just sat back and said, ah, oh, and, and, and been armchair pontificators or keyboard warriors, as the Prime Minister said today. They haven't just talked about stuff. They've thought, you know what, if I want to make a difference and something comes up, I need to ring my senator or my MP and tell them what I think. I need to write a letter to the editor and get in the newspaper. I need to be a member of groups on social media that will give me opportunity to act. You know what, I actually even need to put a T-shirt on and go out as part of an organised campaign and knock on doors to change hearts and minds. Now, they did that even when they were only getting 1% of what they wanted. But today, they've got about 70% of what they want and things are moving quickly. And it's because they've been so zealous and so committed to their cause for such a long period of time. It's as simple as that. And there is absolutely no doubt that if we can push back the other way, we can and we will make a difference for good. 
And part of the problem we've had as Christians in Australia is that we haven't been activists. And I mean that in the best sense of the word. We haven't been the light of the world in the way that we could have been, taking a stand, actually doing things that cost us something and that are a challenge, but that make the truth known in public. And that's why ACL, uh, we call ourselves a grassroots movement. We're actually the second biggest political movement in the country. We're twice the size of the Liberal Party, for example. Um, And we have all of these Christian people who are our supporters and our members. And what we do is we say to them, listen, you want to see change, get active, be activated. We have campaigns that you can actually be a part of. And you can fulfill that mandate to go and be a voice for truth in your community. And what we're doing at the moment as part of the federal election is we're running field campaigns. Uh, And this is a pretty high level of involvement, but it's really rewarding. I've done it myself. You show up to these days of action, uh, which are on Saturdays between now and the federal election. And as part of a big team of ACL volunteers, you actually go out letterboxing uh, in different, in, in targeted strategic electorates where we know we can make a difference and you're raising these issues of moral gravity in our nation. Uh, and you go out letterboxing, and some people even do door knocking, but that's optional. You don't have to go that far. Uh, and you spend a day out uh, on a Saturday. They're called Days of Action, Super Saturdays. Uh, and you can go to acl.org.au. And if you click on the events button in the menu, uh, you will see there that you can sign up. You can RSVP to these Days of Action. And you can go along, and if you just want to observe and see how it's done, fine. Or if you want to get involved, get involved. But we have a strategic goal of being a 1,000 ready-to-go volunteers in every state and territory in the country, well well on the way to that goal. And I know that if we can coordinate those actions and those people towards taking a stand for truth in public, we can actually make a big difference and even avert some of this horrible stuff that's coming down the pipeline that will see the voice of truth uh, substantially extinguished in our country if we don't do something. Well, Martin, we have run out of time, but I want to point listeners to the website acl.org.au that stands for Australian Christian Lobby.org.au acl.org.au and uh, find out about how you might be active in the campaign uh, to defend freedoms for all Australians uh, acl.org.au Martin Isles the managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby Martin thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020 Thank you Neil always my pleasure Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.